0: Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City.
1: Bex, our eldest daughter, is uh, back from Boston. And uh, over the next kind of, over the last few weeks and uh, for the next few weeks, she was asking uh, for a project to do to keep herself busy through the summer. And last summer, uh, we decided to tackle our deck. Uh, to kind of sand it and paint it, and we did kind of a a cool job, and so she was looking for another DIY project to do at home, and I suggested that she tackle the wooden window frames that we have in our house that had taken a real beating through the winter, and um, quite surprisingly, she not only agreed, but she wanted to do it herself, which which absolved me of the responsibility, so I was super excited that she said yes to this. And so day one, a couple of weeks ago, was uh, sanding all the kind of rough spots and kind of uh, uh, scraping all the, all the bad spots off of the wooden window frames uh, so that it would, it would prepare the, the, the wood for priming and painting. And she did a great first day. First day, absolutely outstanding. Um, the challenge that happened is that she got a little sick after that, and so it's left uh, partially painted, uh, sorry, partially sanded and very unpainted window frames throughout our house. And those of you who know me know how much I would love that. I mean, that just has made me super settled and super confident with uh, the state of affairs. And so the one question that I've been asking uh, time and time again, as she's shown signs of getting better, is the question, when? As in, when are you going to get to priming and painting the wooden window frames? And I realized I've been asking that question a little too much because... Just on Thursday morning, I think it was. Um, before she even said good morning, Dad, the first words out of her mouth to me were, "Dad, do not ask me about the window frames until at, at least until I've had a cup of coffee." So that's the point we've got to with the, with the when question, and uh, when, and also how, as in how are you going to do that, are probably the two questions that I tend to ask the most, especially when I get stressed or when I get anxious or when I feel overwhelmed, because even if I'm feeling overwhelmed, hearing from other people things that I've asked them to do, and hearing their ability to answer when they're going to get it done, and how they're going to get it done, gives me this kind of morbid sense of peace and, and kind of rest, knowing that other people are in control of things, even if I'm not. And that's kind of the motivation behind what I shared with you a few weeks ago, that when things are frantic in our house, I find the most arbitrary things to, 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 to give order to. So when Debs is not feeling well, or the kids are not feeling well, that's the the time when our kitchen is the cleanest. That's the time when our furniture is the straightest, because it gives me the sense of control. It gives me the sense of order when everything else seems so out of order. Now, I know there's probably amateur psychologists and probably some professional psychologists who are sitting there saying, well, that explains everything, because you've now got a peek into my twisted brain, and... Probably my family and the Whitakers and Lusks who have to work with me are thinking, now nah, you can feel my pain. It's the very reason why I'm stressed as I, as I am. But I think um, when and how, when and how type questions are questions that we often ask ourselves because others are asking those questions of us all the time. Sometimes those when and how questions are legitimate, But sometimes they're not. And that's when it can get exhausting or even painful at times. When will you complete the assignment or finish the project I've given you to do? How are you going to raise your grades or land the job or get the promotion that's available? How will you meet your sales targets or close the deal that that you are competing for? When will you have paid off your student loans or finally be able to balance your budget? And I've intentionally avoided some of the really hurtful when and how type questions that other people or even society asks of us. It's their definition of what success or acceptance looks like. And because we are so often asked those when and how type questions by other people, I think it forces us to ask those when and how type questions of ourselves. When will I eventually earn enough or know enough or have achieved enough in order to fit in? How can I overcome my lack of, insert any resource or or any achievement that that you perhaps don't have, when or or how can I overcome my lack of that thing in order to fit in? I think if there's one when question we should be asking and answering is, when is enough going to be enough? Because if we don't answer that question, we are going to exhaust ourselves by this inability to eventually stop and slow down. I think fear is at the root of a lot of these when and how type questions. Fear that I will never make it, and if I do eventually make it, whatever it is, fear that I can't sustain it. I think we ask these when and how type questions. I think culture asks these when and how type questions, a lot of us, because they are questions that can be easily measured. And if there's one thing we do so well in our culture today is measuring so-called success by the tangibles, things that we can touch, things that we can feel, things that we can uh, see and, and, and grab hold of. And I think the danger of living by a set of standards that we can measure, it simply leads to comparison. And comparison is so dangerous. When we compare ourselves to others, the thing we tend to do is to undervalue that which we do have and overvalue the things that we don't have. And if there's one person that we should be comparing ourselves to, it's to the person we were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. Comparison is, is so, so dangerous. And those of you here who are followers of Jesus will know the, the danger of allowing a, 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 a culture that, that measures success by tangible things, how dangerous that is to bleed over into our relationship with Jesus. Jesus. We need to settle, I hope we've settled the, the, the fact that, that my absolute worst will never give God reason to, to abandon me, and my absolute best is never reason for God to accept me and to work with me. God loves me. The grace of God, the mercy of God, the goodness of God is poured out on me because of who I am in Jesus. The righteousness of Jesus is a covering righteousness, and that's the basis on which God accepts me. I am saved by grace through faith, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the reality of the gospel. But, but these how and when questions still plague every single one of us in our walk with God. When will God come through for me? Or how could God ever use someone like me or endless variations thereof? Every faith journey, every faith journey that begins with the promise of God, every a journey to discover the vision that God has for us, which is kind of what we're doing right now, discovering the vision that God has for us. Every one of those faith journeys involves the inevitable when and how questions. When will God come good on His word, and how will He do it? But I want to suggest today that there are two other very important questions that we have to ask and answer when we are on a faith journey to to see the fulfillment of God's promises come to pass. And those are who and what questions. Who has made the promises in the first place? And what has God specifically promised? But the mistake we make is we ask ourselves the wrong questions. We get preoccupied with the things that God alone, should be ta- that God alone promises to take care of. God alone says, I will answer how and when. God excels at answering how, because He is the God of the impossible, and He alone knows when, as in when, things will come to pass. Our preoccupation, our focus, the questions we should be asking are the who and what questions. Who is He that made the promise? And what unique and specific things has He promised and called me to to do? And so today's sermon is going to be about Teaching us, learning together how to ask the right questions as we are on a faith journey. So, as I mentioned, we are, this is week three of our summer series through the book of Nehemiah. We've entitled the series Exiles to Heirs. And the book of Nehemiah is about Nehemiah, an Israelite who was born into the nation of Persia. And he's serving as a, as a wine taster or a cupbearer to the king of Persia. Now, don't think sommelier. Don't think. Don't think he's a, he's a wine taster who's suggesting fine wines to the king. He was putting his life on the line. He was the last line of defense if anyone was trying to poison the king. He would step in to taste the wine to make sure that it was safe. And this Israelite, this, this man Nehemiah, is eventually called by God to take a group of God's people, the Israelites, back to Jerusalem in order to rebuild and restore the walls of the city. And when we think of that, don't think... Fixer Upper, you know that uh, 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 Chip and Joanna Gaines show that we all love to watch and we all long to have homes that look like that? We all know that show. This is not an Old Testament version of Fixer Upper. This is not trying to restore the walls of Jerusalem back to their former glory or even better. The very glory and honor and presence of the, and, and, and honor of the Lord is at stake. Jerusalem or or Zion or the city of God and its temple represented the the very presence of God. And and the city walls and the temple have been destroyed and God's people have been scattered, which is why Nehemiah is is so burdened, is so in anguish because he knows the name of the Lord, the honor of the name of the Lord is at stake. That's what's burdening and stirring his heart. And so this is very much a spiritual rebuilding project. It's, it's bringing the, the people of God, the exiles, the people of God back to the place where God dwells so that they can rightfully take their place back as heirs of an unshakable kingdom. And it's a beautiful example. It mirrors wonderfully the very thing God is still doing today, bringing exiles back from people from all nations and across all generations so that, we, so that they can be heirs of an unshakable kingdom. That's the reason why church in the city exists, friends. That's the reason why we are called to do what we are called to do. It fits in so well with all of Jesus for everyone. Our desire for for the fullness of who Jesus is to be experienced by absolutely everyone in the city and nations. That's what's burning in our hearts. And so along this way, we've been asking certain questions, asking questions about, about how does our vision how does the church in the city vision and how does the thing that God has called you to, how do those things mesh? How do those things lock together? How do those things fit in? We've, we've wonderfully defined all of Jesus for everyone as the summary of our vision statement. But what is God, call, what is God calling you to? What is God's vision for your life? What what promises has God made over you? That's the thing that we're trying to discover. And to do that, we've been asking, kind of searching, probing questions, and learning certain pillars about discovering vision. I want to to encourage you, to, if you you want to, to read an outstanding book that has been helping me as I've been preaching this series. And it's a book by Andy Stanley called Visioneering. Uh, The subtitle is Your Guide to Discovering and Maintaining Personal Vision. And I want to catch us up real quickly on the three pillars that we've learned so far about vision. Firstly, vision, ones which we've defined as one's ultimate aspiration, the, 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 that which defines movement and mission towards a preferred future. Vision starts with a burden or concern. Vision starts with a burden or concern, but it's not a burden or concern for you. It's a burden or concern for, God, for, for people, for others, so that God can use you to reach out to them, to minister His love and grace through you to them. The second thing we've learned is that vision that is from God hardly ever requires immediate action. And the reason for that is because God wants to ensure that His heart is imparted into our hearts. And that involves abiding in God. As we abide in God, we begin to move with God. Or or more correctly, God begins to move us towards discovering His plan and purpose for our lives. And then the third thing we've learned is that we need to pray for opportunities and plan as if we expect God to answer our prayers. I encouraged us last week, friends, that we are visionaries, not dreamers. Dreamers desire to see change. Visionaries desire to see change, but they envision themselves being part of the process to bring about change. And that should, that should alter the way we pray. If you have a vision to want to see your friend saved— You don't pray, Lord, would you save my friend? A visionary prays, Lord, would you give me the opportunity to share your love with my friend? And then we live our lives always with our eyes open and expectant for God to answer those prayers, and not always in the way that we would imagine. I want James to come up and share just a two-minute short testimony of something that happened to him on Thursday, which kind of emphasizes this point. James, do you want to come up and share that real quick?
0: Thanks, Steve. Um, I've, I was taking some time this past Thursday uh, walking near uh, my girls' school to just pray and just walk around the neighborhood and just pray and spend some time with the Lord. And, and I've, one of the things I've been asking the Lord is in those moments that I get alone with him, uh, and I'm out in public especially, uh, I've just been asking the Lord, highlight someone. Uh, give me uh, something prophetic to minister, to illustrate your love. Uh, put, put someone on my heart and kind of you know, direct me that way. And, and you know, I'm sure that's a hunger that you guys share as well, many of you. And so, as I'm walking and, and praying, <laughs> uh, I come across this um, this elderly woman who is trying to get this big cart of groceries up her stoop. You know, and it was one of those typical Chicago homes where the first story is actually like ten stairs up, and then there's a garden apartment underneath. And without thinking, without you know, seeing the third heaven and God pointing out everything and angel dust falling down, I just was like, I just need to help this woman get get the stuff up. So I asked her and she was Hispanic and spoke very broken English and I speak very broken Spanish, but we worked it out and I helped her get her cart up the stairs. And then she, uh, was able to communicate to me that she actually lives on the second floor. <laughs> <laughs> so she opened the door and, uh, I just, I took them right up and I just felt the Lord say, ask her if she has children. And I just said, you know, do, do you have kids? And she talked to me for the next 20 minutes. Sitting on her porch about her one son, that she is a single mother. Um, she must have been in her 70s or 80s. She had poured her life into her son. He's in Florida. He had walked away from God, and, and we, we got onto that a little bit. And she just talked and talked and talked. I was almost fluent by the end of the conversation. <laughs> and I and. And all the while, I was asking the Lord, almost, um, you guys have probably been here before too. I was just sitting there, I'm listening wholeheartedly, but I'm saying, okay, Lord, what is this? What's a prophetic word? What's something I can say? And I felt the Lord in a very godly way say, shut up and listen, you are loving her. She hasn't stopped talking about her son. And then God said, tell her that I love her son. I haven't left her son and ask if you can pray for her son. So I just said that, and she stood up. She was about this tall, and she walked right over to me, buried her face into my chest right there on California, on this stoop, and we just prayed, and she sobbed for God's goodness for her son, felt the Lord saw her son, hasn't forgotten her and what she'd poured into her son, and I just said, I feel the Lord says that he hasn't left your son, he's going after him, and that your son is gonna return to the Lord very clearly. And, and then it dawned on me, that I had been, as Steve was saying, I was asking when and how, when and how, and the Lord reminded me of who and what in that moment. And she sent me on my way with a full tall glass of apple juice and an avocado. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was amazing. It was great. Outstanding. Good job. I've got it. Go.
1: You have your own mic. That's <laughs> such an incredible, an amazing testimony of, and it illustrates the point that I'm trying to make is that you know, we, we need to be praying for opportunities, but not the opportunities that we expect, which I think points to Courtney's prophetic word, if I can maybe just adapt that a little. We've, we've got this, this, this piece of paper, this list of the way that our day is going to approach, and God's saying, listen, I've got so much more for that. Put that aside and let me, let me take charge. And so one of the questions to challenge us with, what opportunities do I need to begin praying for that will impact those around me? I want you to take a moment and I want you to think right now of a, of a promise that God may have given you that is still to be fulfilled. Think of a promise that God may have given you that is still to be fulfilled. Or, or perhaps some of you here, I want you to think about, if you can articulate this, uh, the vision that God has given you for your life. And I know many of you probably probably are are, are unable to articulate that clearly. So I want to ask you then to to think about something that burdens or breaks your heart. I want you to bring that to the forefront of your mind. You there? You got a promise in your mind? You got a a burden on your heart or, or some articulation of God's vision for your life? How often when we are pursuing those things do we make the mistake of getting distracted or even giving up on those things because we've asked the question, how and when? As in, how on earth is God going to fulfill this promise? Or when on earth is God going to fulfill this promise? And we give up on those particular things. And what I want to suggest today is the questions we should be asking is not how and when, but, but who and what. Who is He that has spoken these promises and given me this vision? And, and what are the specific things that God has given me? Today we're going to ask we, we, we're going to learn to ask the right questions. Today, we're going to learn to ask the right questions, to focus on who and what, not on how and when. And as we're going to learn from Nehemiah chapter 2, when we ask the questions who and what, there are, there are a couple of things that we're going to learn from this particular chapter. It involves waiting on God. It involves praying with God, and it involves trusting in God. Let's, let's turn to the text and, and kind of read together. And, and Chapter 2, verse 1 starts in the month of Nissan, or Nissan, or Nissan. In the month of (laughs) Nissan, asking who or what type questions, or abiding in God involves waiting. And can I say from the outset, as we make this first point, waiting time is not wasted time. Waiting time is not wasted time. Nissan or Nissan is not a Japanese car manufacturer. It's a month in the, in the Hebrew or an uh, um, uh, uh, Aramaic, uh, uh, not Aramaic, Assyrian uh, calendar, uh, kind of the equivalent to our April, May. Uh, but the, the point that I want to make is the month of Nisan is four months after the month of Kislev, and we've come across the month of Kislev in Nehemiah 1.1, when that was the month when Nehemiah first heard about the state of Jerusalem. So the point is, this is four months of praying. This is four months of waiting. This is four months of abiding in God. This is four months of catching God's heart and God's burden to want to see Jerusalem restored and God's people gathered back. This is 120 days of praying Nehemiah 1 verse 11. If you've got a Bible, just flick back real quickly to Nehemiah 1 verse 11. Look at the prayer that Nehemiah prays. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today. For 120 days, Nehemiah prayed, give your servant success today. And for 120 days, he was wondering if today was going to be that day. The point is this, friends, is that that while while Nehemiah waited, he prayed and he never gave up. And that's something that we need to learn to do. Jesus, later on in Luke chapter 18, Luke tells the story of Jesus telling a parable to make this exact point. In Luke 18, uh, he starts off like this. Then Jesus told this parable. It's a parable about a widow who is, is, is facing an adversary and is, and is being unjustly done by this adversary. And the widow goes to the judge to demand justice. Then Jesus told them this parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Why was Jesus teaching the disciples to always pray and not give up? Because the disciples, just like you and I, pray and give up. We do exactly what the disciples do. We pray and we give up. And I hope that silence is you agree with me rather than, Steve, you are alone in this because I'm suddenly feeling very vulnerable and (laughs) awfully alone. I, I pray and I give up. And this parable is so applicable to me. Jesus tells the story of how the, the, the judge eventually, after the widow coming, day after day after day, eventually says, all right, all right, all right, I will make sure that you get justice. And Jesus brings the application, and will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who continue to cry out to Him day and night? Friends, while we wait, we need to pray. While we wait, we need to worship. While we wait, we need to continue to walk with God. Liam, uh, uh, Isaiah, Amen. Uh, Isaiah 64 says this, since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for you. R.T. Kendall famously said about this verse, this verse, while we work, God waits. While we wait, God works. While we work, God waits. While we wait, God works. The Bible is full of accounts of of people time and time again who receive a promise, who who get a sense of a burden, and until that promise is fulfilled or until that burden eventually morphs into vision and that vision comes to fruition, they had to go through a period of waiting. Abraham waited 25 years before he had son number one, even though he was promised to be the father of many nations. Moses had to wait 40 years before leading leading God's people out of Egypt. David, 15 years after he was anointed king before he eventually took the throne. And so I think Nehemiah got off lightly, only having to wait four months. But he had to wait nonetheless. He had to wait nonetheless. Debs and I were burdened for this nation for 10 years before we were able to walk into what was something of God's promise for us. And we waited another 10 years before we owned a home. And there's nothing virtuous about owning a home other than in our context, it was a promise God had given us. And the thing that we learned so most importantly through that time of waiting is this. When the time is right, when the, th- when, when, when the season is right in God, things happen quickly. The very last verse of Isaiah 60 says this, I am the Lord, and in its time, I will do things swiftly. I am the Lord, and in the right time, things are going to happen very quickly. After waiting 10 years to get into America, literally, when, the, when God said it is time, it took us three months. And after waiting 10 years to buy a house, and God eventually said, now is the time. It took us six months to own a home. And that was starting with about $1,500 in our savings account. And that's another story for another time. But the time between burden and preferred future being achieved, the time between degrees of glory, the time between promise and fulfillment, the time between bud and And fruit is a time of vulnerability, is a time of question asking. And friends, I want to suggest we, if you're anything like me, we ask the wrong questions. We ask questions like, did I hear God correctly? When is He going to do what He promised? Has He forgotten me? When do I step in and do something? When we wait, there are always more questions than answers. There are always more obstacles than open doors and opportunities. And there are always more naysayers than there are encouragers. But that is the time for us to stand firm and not get distracted by the how and when questions. While you wait, God is preparing, God is using your circumstances to position and prepare you for what He has planned for you. While you wait, God is, is, is using your circumstances to position and prepare you for what He has planned for you. And that's the fourth truth. That I want to share as we journey through discovering God's vision God is using your circumstances waiting time is not wasting time and it's one day closer to the day of success and can I suggest our response in that time needs to be to seek God's kingdom first because when we seek God's kingdom first it's there that God has positioned you and he's positioned you with purpose in mind I worked a, 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 an incredible job uh, um, in, 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 corp- in the corporate chemical world for, for many years. But it was in, a, it was in a, a tiny little town in South Africa where the, where the manufacturing plant was, surrounded by sugarcane fields. And I had a burden on my heart to be involved in taking the gospel to the nations. And I never saw it then, but in, in, in that season, I could see it afterwards, but in that season we were receiving teachings Sunday after Sunday about God's heart for the nations. And, and, and the company that I worked for would send me all over the world four or five times a year for seven or eight years. And I never realized in the moment, I see it now, but God was preparing my heart and positioning me for what he was calling us to as a family. My current self can't tell my old self, seek first the kingdom, so I have to settle for this. My current self can tell you. Seek first the kingdom wherever you are and wherever you've been positioned. Pray and be honoring and don't gossip and, 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 and read His word and worship and wait faithfully and stay humble and trust in God and let Him determine how and when. Don't get distracted by those things. And so the first question that we're going to ask today, it's on your sheets, is this. What does seeking God, God's kingdom in my current circumstance look like? What does seeking God's kingdom in my current circumstance look like? We're learning today to ask the right questions. And I keep saying we need to focus on who and what, not, not how and when. And when we focus on who and what, it involves abiding with God or abiding in God. And when we abide in God, it, 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 it means we sometimes need to wait, wait on God. But secondly, the second thing that happens is we need to learn to pray with God. And I've intentionally chosen the word pray with, not pray to, because I want to emphasize the relational component of prayer, not the moral obligation of prayer. We pray with God. We don't pray to God, like it's some sort of moral obligation. Let's carry on reading. I just realized I made the first point of the sermon from the first five words of Nehemiah. That's probably, that's probably a record. Anyway, that's just a, I've just realized that right now. Um, note to self. Uh, uh, chapter 2, let's read from verse 1 again. In the month of Nisan, Nisan I don't know how to pronounce that. It, that's clearly the case. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. Man, just just stop there for a moment. Nehemiah was clearly seeking the kingdom of God in his place of work, wasn't he? I mean, that's a statement of of he had gained reputation amongst the the king of Persia. What What an incredible thing to say. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I love Question asking. I don't want to get off on track, but 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 we've spoken before from this pulpit about the importance of listening out for questions because questions reveal that God is at work in someone's heart. I mean, here is the king, the king of Persia, saying, "Nehemiah, tell me why are you so sad." This was the day he'd been praying for. Remember that prayer, Lord, grant me success today. And eventually he gets asked a question. You can't go up to the king of Persia and ask a question. He had to wait for that question to be asked. And I love his honesty. I was very much afraid. I think sometimes we think the presence of fear automatically means the absence of faith. Someone once said this, and I think it's so true. The strength of your faith is not measured by the absence of fear, but by the faithfulness of your life in the face of fear. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look so sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, What is it you want? Can I ask you this question? What is it you want? What is it you want? Can you answer that question? I'm not meaning a Harley or a vacation or whatever. I, we all want those kinds of things. I'm meaning, What is the burden of your heart? What does God put on your heart? If someone were to come to you and say, so and so, how can I pray for you? Can you answer that question? If God were to come to you and say, what is it you want? Do you know the answer to that question? And that's the second question on those sheets that you'll see. What is it you want? What is the burden that God has put on your heart? Then verse 4, then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king. Do you see there, verse four and five? I prayed to the God of heaven, asking the right questions, abiding in God involves praying. Now, now, there are two kinds of prayer that we've already encountered in Nehemiah chapter one and chapter two. In Nehemiah chapter one, you don't have time to look, look back at it, but you can do it in your own time. It's this, it's this lengthy prayer that Nehemiah prays. It's, it's the prayer time that typically is associated with what we would call our quiet time. And I love what Matt Chandler from Dallas says about quiet times. He says that's an awful name for time with God because it sounds like you're disciplining your children. Go off into the corner, be quiet, and come back when you've got an answer. I mean, that's literally what quiet time sounds like. South Africans are, are known for their abbreviations. Uh, we, we're terrible with this. I, I wrote a couple down. Um, photographs are photos. Uh, air conditioners are air cons. Medicine is mooty. I don't know how that one works. Um, here, we, here you are is hewa, uh, sausages are sausies and sandwiches are Samis. And then I heard Aidan mention something the other day. He called devotionals devos. So that's a, that's a new one. So, so the point I'm trying to make through all of this is, is Nehemiah chapter 1 is essentially Nehemiah off on his own, having a devo with the Lord. That's, that's what Nehemiah chapter 1 is. But chapter 2 is altogether different. Chapter 2 is Nehemiah at work, and his boss saying, Nehemiah, what is it you want? And him saying quietly to himself, oh my goodness, Lord, this is that moment we've been praying. All right, give me strength. I'm going to go for it. And he answers the king. You see, Nehemiah 1 is devotional time. Nehemiah 2 is praying without ceasing. It's those moments. And can I suggest, both are necessary in order for us to have a vibrant relationship with God. In 23 years of marriage, the the one thing I, I still... You, don't judge me for this, but the one thing I still struggle to, to remember is how important and valuable uh, quality time is for Deb's. It is her absolute number one love language. And I can honestly say 90% of all the strife and struggle we have in our relationship is my absent-mindedness or forgetfulness as to how important that is for Deb's. When we get together and when we are alone, we can ask each other questions and we can go far deeper than a two-minute conversation here or there will allow. But I will say this, those two-minute conversations are just as important. Those, that little text in the day saying, hey, my love, thinking of you, how are you doing? That's just as important as time alone. Those, those notes in the suitcase that Deb's is so brilliant at, when I travel alone, she always slips a little note in the suitcase just to say, praying for you and love you. I, I try to do that once. Uh, many years ago, I went on a business trip for 16 days, and I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. So I sat down with 16 cards, and I was going to write out 16 notes to my wife, and, and day one was William Shakespeare in action. I mean, it was, it was poetic, and it was beautiful, and day two was really good, and day three was good, and day four came down to, I love you, and day five was, you're amazing, and literally... I made the mistake of trying to write all 16 days in one sitting, which was just, I used up all my creativity in the first couple of days. days. Yeah, I'm not going to go there, but day 16 was, was horrendous, trust me. But the, the, the point I'm trying to make is, in, in order for our relationship to be vibrant, is we need both. We need the, the time, the dedicated time. When, when she says to me, Steve, how was your day? I don't say, We've got a date night planned in four nights, sweetie. Just make a note to that and we'll get to it when we come. No. I'll I answer that question, but we have the date night planned. Both are necessary. And friends, it's the same with our walk with God. Both are necessary and, and both are needed. And so prayer with Nehemiah was, was necessary, was, was spontaneous, was intimate, and was, was confident. So we're asking, we're, we nearly landed. A couple minutes left and we, uh, we'll be done. But we're, 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 we're focusing on asking the right questions today. Not, not who, not, not sorry, not how and when, but, but who and what. And by asking those questions, we, we're realizing that it involves uh, a waiting on God. Secondly, we learn about praying with God. And lastly, the last point I'm going to land with this it involves trusting God. Let's read verse four. Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king said, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time, and I also said to him, I I love this, Nehemiah's like, all right, I'm, I'm all in. I've got an audience with the king. I'm going to take the opportunity. Well, if it pleases the king, may I I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy when it comes to fulfilling His promises and ensuring His vision comes to pass for our lives, God solves the problem of how and when. God solves the problem of how and when. Who and what always precedes how and when. But we get fixated on how and when. And that always trips us up. Remember those promises I asked you to bring to the forefront of your mind. Remember that vision I asked you to think about, that burden that is in your heart. Think about times. I'm sure this has happened to you when you fixated, you're fixated on how is this going to happen? Or when is it going to come, come to pass? And I want to suggest the questions we should be asking is how and when. We can ask those questions because we must always remember we serve the God of the impossible. And God takes care of the how. And the when. As Andy Stanley says in his book, What God Originates, He Orchestrates. I would put it this way What God births, He brings to fruition. And that's lesson five in this journey of discovering God's vision for our lives. Number one, vision starts with a burden or concern. Number two, vision that is from God hardly ever requires immediate action. Number three, we need to pray for opportunities and plan as if we expect God to answer our prayers. Number four, While we wait, God is using our circumstances to position and prepare us for what He has planned for us. And number five, what God births, He also brings to fruition. Faith is our response to the promise of God, our response to God saying, I'll take care of the how and the when. Mary asked Gabriel, Gabriel, how is it possible that I would conceive and give birth to the Son of God? And Gabriel's answer is, no word, from the, no, no word from God ever fails to come to pass. God will take care of the how and the when. So finally, question number three, what questions am I asking? Am I asking who and what rather than how and when? Friends, a vision that we give birth to, a vision that, that, that starts in our own desires, is a vision that is limited by our potential and our resources. But a vision that is birthed in heaven, a vision that God gives us, is limited by His potential and His resources. And we serve the God of the impossible, who has endless potential and endless power and endless resources. So what I want to say, friends is focus on the how, sorry, focus on the who and the what, not the how and when. Because that's what, that's what Nehemiah did. Look at verse 8. Nehemiah, he, he was always praying to the God of heaven, the who. He was convinced that God had called him to lead Israel out. And look at verse 8. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. The king Granted. God of heaven took care of the how and the when. We have an incredible vision before this church. All of Jesus for everyone. An incredible vision. How? When? I don't know. Let's focus on who and let's focus on what. We have a dream to move into our own space at 4216 West Belmont. How? When, I don't, know, I don't know the answer to those questions. The reality is we, we are facing obstacles, but I'm focusing on who and what. Every single one of you seated here, God has made and declared promises over you. God has a vision for your life. That's what the series is about, discovering how your, God's vision for your life fits into the vision of church in the city. How is God gonna fulfill those promises? When is it going to happen? I don't know. But I'm inviting us, friends, let's focus on who and what. The God of the impossible. The God of the impossible. And the God who alone knows when it's going to happen. Can we stand together? And we're going to close in prayer. And then I'm going to just ask Matt to come forward and uh, just invite us to, to respond to some ministry. If you feel comfortable to do this, just close your eyes, just be in a position or a posture, not necessarily externally, but more just internally where your heart is just open to what God is, is stirring and saying. Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge your presence here and your desire to, to minister and, and massage the Word of God into our hearts. Father, I know there is much for us to chew on. You've, you've spoken so beautifully through the worship and through the prophetic ministry, and I trust now through this word. We just want to just take two minutes, Lord, just to surrender our hearts to you. Just to say, Lord, help us to focus on who and what. Help us to focus on you, the God of the impossible. Help us to always remember that we serve the God of the impossible. I pray, Father, even as people are, are thinking right now on, on things that you have spoken and promises that you have made and, and, and burdens of their hearts and, and vision to, to see a cities or neighborhoods or, or nations changed, Father, I pray that, that you would give us courage and, and the anointing to focus on, on, on you and what those promises are. And Lord, let us not be distracted by things that are beyond our control. Father, I thank you, and I want to bless every vision and every dream that is beyond our control. I want to pray, Father God, that you would breathe your, your, your life upon dreams and visions and hopes and desires that are beyond our ability to know when or how. I sense that some here are, have grown tired of, of people asking when and how questions. And that could mean a, a million things. A, and I sense maybe even the devil has been asking when and how questions. And I think when when question asking turns into into agitation and it and it and it brings it brings hurt, we know that's not from God. So in Jesus' name, I pray for healing for healing, in Jesus' name. Those being bombarded by those questions. Those who have been hurt by that constant question asking. The world and society and culture constantly asking, how, 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 how is it going to happen? When, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? We pray a a silencing to those, those voices in Jesus' name. And we just ask, Lord, for your peace. For your peace. For your peace. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light, Lord. That's your promise to us. I pray that we would respond to that this morning.
0: Thanks again for listening. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us. Church in the City. All of Jesus for everyone.